0: It's Wednesday, December 16th. Welcome to a new episode of Bazaar. I'm your host, Sid. And joining me again is Rishab Khanna because we have another IPO in the making. Rishab, it's uh, great to have you back.
1: Hey, hi, Sid. So it's another week, another IPO. The IPO season is surely keeping us busy.
0: Yeah. And today we are going to be talking about a biscuit and bakery company, which is coming out with an IPO. And it's raining IPOs at the moment, isn't it? Why wouldn't it? Because, you know, the current valuations offer a pretty sweet exit to the investors. We're talking about Mrs. Bector here, whose issue opened just yesterday. And on the very first day, they, at the time of recording the information that we have, the issue was oversubscribed by around four times, if I'm not wrong. And the company has already raised around 162 crores through a you know, a pre-issue kind of uh, from anchor investors like Goldman Sachs, Nomura and HDFC Life Insurance, etc. So interest was already building up in the issue. The IPO size is around 540 crores, out of which 500 crores is off of a sale, where the money goes directly into the pockets of exiting investors and the rest 40 crore is a fresh issue. And it will be utilized for you know, expanding the manufacturing facility in Rajpura. 40 crores is not, not a big amount and most of the issue is off of a sale. So, you know, it's it's just to give the existing investor a good exit, a profitable exit, I feel. And I, I think, you know, a lot of people are hearing about this company for the first time in their lives, I guess. So Rishab, did you know about the company before the IPO came out? I, I actually did. So I was kind of researching on biscuit players.
1: So I kind of got to know about this player. So the history of this company is quite an interesting and a feel good one. So it was actually started by Miss Rajni Bector in the year 1978. It was started out of out of a hobby where she wanted to sell ice creams, cakes and cookies. Mm-hmm. The business started to pick up. The family saw the potential in it and the family started supporting her and a company was born. The turning point for the company was in the year 1995 when they entered into a partnership with McDonald's to be the sole suppliers of their buns in India. So McDonald's was entering Mm. into the Indian market and the company was the sole supplier of buns to them. The partnership further grew and they entered into a partnership with Quaker for supplying liquid condiments. So this included sauces, ketchups to McDonald's. However, the partnership was called off in the year 1999 and the business was taken over by Mrs. Bector. The company further forayed into B2B segments, supplying uh, products to different chains, which we'll be covering in the while we cover the company more in detail. However, as it is seen with a lot of uh, family-run businesses, the business was split into three parts, the bakery business, the biscuit business, and the condiments business. Just, uh, just an information to the listeners listening, uh, the company that we are covering and the investors would be investing in is the biscuits and the bakery business. The condiments business is not a part of the
0: IPO. Hmm. And like from the start, like it's, it's a family business. So, you know, it's a very tightly run ship as well. I feel because in every family bu- business, the growth actually stems because of the commitment. And I remember you were telling me that the son who I think who's the son of Anup Bector, who's the promoter of the company, left his studies and he joined the company. And these are pretty in- committed set of individuals that are running the company because even the the exit that the investors are getting from the ipo that's only the private equity firms right the promoters are not actually selling any shares so i think that's a good thing because exactly. when you when you see the promoters holding shares in the company and they they are pretty confident about the company so that's a very good sign for you know new investors coming in the company so I, I agree with that. And, you know, a McD partnership, like you mentioned, just at the beginning of the company, it's a very, it gives a major boost to any company because when you're partnering with a company like McD, and I think that was a time when McD was just starting in India. So as exactly. McDonald's grew in India, obviously that would have led to increased sales for Mrs. Vector as well. So that would have directly benefited the company. And while analyzing a company, we look at several parameters to gauge the quality of the company and its business. The most important one is obviously the competitive advantage of the company. So while I was researching, I found that, you know, the, this biscuit industry is actually dominated by three players, which is Britannia, Parlay and IDC and a few other big regional players. So, in this mix, what do you think is Mrs. Bector's competitive advantage and, you know, how does it stand out? So, Siddharth,
1: the industry in which the in which Mrs. Bector operates is quite a fragmented one. And as you said, it is dominated by three players. What is an advantage for the company is the mix of revenue that they earn. So, the company is into domestic manufacturing of biscuits, export of biscuits. The company is into domestic bakery and also is into institutional bakery. So the company uh, earns a decent amount of revenue from exports as well as from its institutional business. The institutional business is the business where it supplies products to a lot of QSR chains like McDonald's, Yum Foods, Burger King and earns a decent amount of revenue from it. The advantage of partnering with Global Players is its facilities are state of the art. It in fact has six facilities spread among India and from where it manufactures its products. If we look at Mrs. Bector as a player in the industry, the market share is not going to be huge because, as you said, it is dominated by those three players. But what Mrs. Bector is to be looked at is kind of a regional player. Most of its market share in the northern part of the country, it supplies most of its products into uh, states like uh, Jammu and Kashmir, uh, Himachal Pradesh, Punjab. And it has a market share of around 4.5% in the northern part of the country in the biscuit category.
0: And I also think that, like you mentioned, I think Punjab, Jammu and Kashmir and Himachal Pradesh are few states where Mrs. Beckter is the second largest player after Britannia. And, you know, it's the second largest player. It's not the largest player in those states as well. So it's a, it's a regional play and it has probably carved out a particular niche for its products because I think they knew when they were starting out that you know they don't have the resources to compete with these big players so let's probably you know create a niche for ourselves because the company is making a profit which is great i really love when a company is making a profit and i think also to just highlight a few points you know it is one of the largest suppliers to the canteen department stores which is a supplier to the army officials and also it is a listed supplier to the indian railways in north india again only in north india and it also makes Oreos and Choco Bake cookies for Mondelez on a contractual basis, but it's not an exclusive contract. So I, I did some research. I remember we discussed this and Mondelez actually gives contracts to a lot of players, out of which one of them is uh, Mrs. Bector. So it's not an exclusive right to make Oreos and As per the prospectus, English Oven, like you mentioned, you know, bakery segment is where the company sells its bakery products, you know, and they have told as per the prospectus that it is one of the largest selling brands in the premium bakery segment in New Delhi, Mumbai and Bengaluru. But, you know, I've been living in Bombay for uh, some time now and trust me, I've never heard of this brand like English Oven Oven. I've not come across this brand and what they're telling in the prospectus is right, but I've not heard of it. Maybe I'm not rich enough, I guess. Uh, But have you heard of it? Like, have you heard of English Oven before? So if you ask me, I also have not heard of
1: English Oven. But uh, looking at the company's prospectus, the company has a presence in metro cities throughout India where it sells, where it uses English Oven as a brand for selling its bakery products.
0: Mm, but even then I think, you know, in that segment as well, Britannia and a few other players are the market leaders. So again, it's it's a regional play and it has carved out a niche for itself. You know, one percent market share of the total biscuit market in India and a four point five percent market share in the North India market. It's it's not a lot, but it's decent and the company is as we'll discuss in the financials segment it is performing well so even after having such a small percentage of the market they are able to churn out a profit which we will discuss in the later stages so you know moving on to our next parameter which is the growth of the industry because we like to look at what is the total addressable market that the company is operating in so what do you think about that biscuits and bakery I think people will never stop eating that. So, what do you think is the growth of the biscuit and the bakery market
1: going forward? So, Siddharth, for understanding the bakery and the biscuit market, we'll first have to look at the packaged food market. So, the packaged food market in India is of 1,636 billion rupees out of which the biscuits and the bakery market is 450 billion. Uh, 400 is contributed by the biscuit segment and 50 billion is contributed by the bakery segment. Now, the market is expected to grow by 9% per annum till 2025.
0: This is not much, right? 9% is it's not going to light the world on fire, but it's a decent amount of growth. So, yeah.
1: That is kind of in line with the growth rate that the market has had from the year 2015. So the market has kind of grown in the range of high single digits only and it will continue to grow at the same rate. If we dig deep into the biscuit market, the biscuit market can be categorized into three categories. First is the mass market. Second is the mid and premium market. And third is the premium market. Now, Mrs. Bechter, as a company operates only in the latter two segments, which are the premium and the mid and premium segment. Hmm. Another factor for the biscuit market that we have to focus on is the market is dominated by organized players. So 94% of the market is dominated by organized players.
0: Yeah, I mean, companies like Britannia, Parlay, itc they are the dominant players in the market. So it makes sense. I mean, 94% is organized and probably you will not have biscuits which are like just homemade or something. So we probably buy biscuits. We we don't consume homemade biscuits on a... Like homemade or, you know, loosely packaged biscuits. So that that metric makes sense.
1: So even if you look at the... Regional distribution of the biscuit market, it is dominated by North India, followed by West India. So Mrs. Bector as a company is dominated in the northern part of country, which is the market which has the highest market share. Moving on to the bakery market, the bakery market is a 50 billion market and is expected to grow at a higher percentage at 12%. Mm. Now 55% of the bread market is organized. So here you will find a lot of uh, local players who are selling their products. and
0: it has a decent amount of market share because even like I I can give an example. Also, when I'm, when we make Pau Bhaji at home, I'm not going to buy buns from a, you know, organized player. I'm I'm just going to go to the local Kirana shop. Bread covers not only breads, it covers pizza bases, buns, everything. And most people, I, I think like, you know, on a daily basis, they will buy those buns and pizza bases probably, you know, from the local players. So, Again, that, that's why I think it's it has a lot of unorganized players.
1: So Siddharth, another industry that has had a favorable impact due to COVID has to be this industry. People have started moving from uh, unpacked products to these packaged players. And you'll see that in the performance of this company and with other listed players as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the half yearly result of financial year 2021 for Mrs. Bechter was mind-blowing because I was just surprised how they were able to give out such a great result. But I think COVID has definitely benefited all these players because when you're sitting at home, you're working on your laptop or whatever and if you see a packet of biscuit or something and you know you're going to eat it. So consumption has definitely increased during the lockdown and I think as the lockdown continues, we will see more benefit to these biscuit players going forward.
1: So moving on to another segment in which the company operates is exporting their products. So India is one of the largest manufacturers of Biscuit, but it is not the largest exporter of its products. So the company has around 12% market share in this segment. And with the sector growing, it will be one of the most beneficial for the company to be in this segment. Mm,
0: So export is a bright, bright spot for mrs Becter, because on other fronts probably you know they are not in a position to <laughs> compete in a big way but export market is untapped like like we said because it's not a big uh, market we are not a primary exporter of biscuits we are a primary consumer of biscuits because the population itself 1.31 billion it says that we are a primary consumer than an exporter so this is one segment where mrs bester you know could benefit from as it grows but it's it remains to be seen how much of the growth in the export market would be captured by Mrs. Becht. It's it's too early to say, I think. But you know, it's it's good. I mean, the market is growing at a nine percent CAGR, like you mentioned. Again, it's it's not a a growth that will light the world on fire, but it's a stable growth and it's it's growing off a good base. Uh, four hundred billion rupees. It's a it's a good base to grow from. And like you said, COVID is going to benefit going forward. I think give the players a good growth in the revenues and a period of extended lockdown could actually benefit the industry and the players because you're going to witness greater consumption. And at the same time, you know, your costs are going down because as we will see later on, the costs have gone down considerably. The cost of materials, the cost of operations and administrative cost all of that is going down while your revenue is going up. So that leads to, you know, more profitability and It's always good for a company to, you know, have a great gross margin. So, that's one thing. But, you know, the question for people who want to invest in the company is whether the company will be able to benefit from the growth in the industry and, you know, the expansion in the biscuit and bakery market. So, how do things look from a competitive point of view for Mrs. Bector?
1: So, Siddharth, as we have already discussed, the market is dominated by three players which are Britannia, Parley, and ITC, which kind of shows in the market when we look at the market share for biscuit players. These companies have more than three-fourths of the market share and players like Mrs. Bector who kind of operate through their brand cremica have only a market share of 1%. Even if you include other regional players like Unmole Biscuits, they have close to 4% of market share. So the market mm-hmm. share is predominantly towards these uh, big players. Again, if you dig deep into the categories of products in the biscuit segment, the regional players are only able to have a decent amount of market share in the crackers segment uh, and that too in the cracker salty segment with around 18%. Rest, all market share predominantly in every other category, be it uh, cookies, cream or any category is taken over by the listed players.
0: Yeah, Britannia and Parley are just rocking it. I feel like in every, because when I also was researching, you know, I was looking through the prospectus and in every category, you know, the, the leader was either Britannia or ITC or Parley. So there's no other player there. There's no regional player that's coming out and dominating it. So it's very tough. It's very tough for a company like Mrs. Vector. So just to give you an example of the mass market, so
1: there's a category, uh, known as a mass market in the biscuit segment it is dominated by parle and the brand that we all know parle-g which is the largest manufactured biscuit by volume in the entire world takes the maximum amount of market share so that is the difficulty these players have in gaining a significant amount of market share in these segments
0: and that is why probably you know they have they've not even tried to go in the mass market because they know that Parlay is such a big player that using resources to capture that mass market is it does not make sense. So right from the start, I think the strategy was obviously to go in the mid-premium and the premium segment. And that's how these players are targeting, you know, their their customers. Because mass market is out of the I, I don't think they can compete with Parley At the price point and at the brand that Parley has it's it's not it's very difficult even Britannia and ITC cannot compete with Parley in that segment so that's that's the reason why mid premium and premium is the preferred choice. A point to be noted which is beneficial for Mrs. Bector
1: is uh, available in the biscuits, breads, buns, cakes and other bakery items market. So it has a wide product base. Only other company to have this is Britannia. So not even Parley which is not present in the breads and buns market as well as the cakes market or ITC which is not present in the breads and buns market has such a product profile. So that is beneficial for Mrs. bector
0: Mm, yeah, I mean, a diversified portfolio does help because when you cannot compete in biscuits, then probably because even in bread, it's, it it's not the leader, but still, you know, like the more products because it has a lot of products, right? It has like 384 types of biscuits and around 118 items in the bakery segment. So it has a lot of products that it offers.
1: So, even taking that 1% market share that the company has, if you compare it on an India level, what would be a better ma- benchmark for the company would be its market share in the northern part, which, as we have discussed, is 4.5%.
0: Which is not much, right? Which is not much. Like 4.5% is still less, given that, you know, regional players, I think, normally have a like 10 to 12% market share. So, 4.5 is still. Not something to you know boast, but it's it's okay. I mean it's a decent amount of market share. Well,
1: let us say that is the highest market share in any region that it has. So four and a half percent in the biscuit segment is its highest market share.
0: Yeah, and you know, one of the things that really stands out to me is that even after being in business for 25 years, you know, the company hardly has any market share, like 1% all over India. And 4.5% in the North India segment. So they didn't expand that much. I don't know what it was. But it's the second largest player in states like Punjab, Himachal Pradesh, Jammu and Kashmir and Ladakh. You know, when you think of these states, they are they're not states which will give you like a tremendous jump in consumption going forward. Because these are not highly populated states. So again, the the growth that the company will witness is not that much. You know, it's not... A uh, second largest player in a, in a city like Bombay or Delhi where the population is just exploding or, you know, a migration is happening and, you know, people keep coming to Bombay. So, Gardi is in Bombay. Just a side note. Uh, but yeah, again, and another way of looking at the company would be that, you know, the management deliberately knew. And it was probably a strategy that they had in mind right from the start that they cannot compete with players like Britannia, Parlay and ITCs. Because Britannia literally is the market leader in every subcategory of biscuits, uh, except for glucose, because glucose is obviously dominated by Parlay. So maybe Mrs. Beckter and the promoters thought that instead of going all out in the, you know, the mass market or the in other segments like creams, cookies, etc. Why not create a niche for ourselves? You know, why not be a major supplier in the northern part of the country and, you know, be profitable? I mean, I think that's a good strategy to have. right? And I think that's the reason why they're still not supplying pan-India because they're still supplying like only in 26 states. So I think more than not them being able to expand, I think it was a conscious decision by the promoters to not expand rapidly and to just target those states which are profitable for them. And I think it has worked out in that. Well,
1: well, Siddharth, as you said, it has a presence in 26 states, but the meaningful presence is only in the northern part of the country.
0: And also only in four states is the second largest player. So it's very concentrated play if you look at that.
1: Moving on to the bakery segment, the bakery segment as such is concentrated among the metro cities where a lot of bakery products are consumed. So the company has a decent amount of market share, which is 5% in the bakery market. However, this market itself is also captured by Britannia, uh, which has the highest market share. So here also the company does not have a high market share. What is a positive for this company is its supply to QSR chains. So as we Mm -hmm. had discussed in our previous discussion, when we were covering Burger King IPO, the QSR market is increasing, it is expected to increase at 22%. And uh, this company is the preferred supplier of a lot of brands. So right from Burger King to Yum! restaurants to McDonald's, with which it has a very long standing partnership, it is the preferred supplier. Now, a point to be noted is the company does not have a contract which kind of guarantees X amount of products for X amount of value, but it is the preferred supplier. And it has been consistently being the supplier for all these brands. For example, uh, for McDonald's from 1995, from Burger King, since it's in cooperation and operations in India from 2014. So it has maintained that stature of being the preferred supplier.
0: Yeah, and that helps because as these... uh... Companies grow like as they establish more stores. So even, you know, the business for Mrs. Beckter will grow going forward. And definitely, I mean, you know, Burger King and McD are like we mentioned in our previous episode as well. These are big, big players in the QSR market, especially McD. So so it helps, you know, the company to grow its business as well in a, in a stable way because they can sort of, you know, rely on that business that, you know, money is going to be coming from McD's and Burger King's of the world. In a, in a very recurring kind of way. So it's always good to have those three, four customers, you know, stable business. And that helps, you know, in the long run. And I got to tell you, I like companies which are making a profit. And Mrs. Bechter is one, which brings us to our next parameter, which is financials, which is like looking at the books, the profits and the balance sheet and stuff. So the company has been able to deliver a amazing revenue growth in the first six months of this year. So What do you think about that? Is it sustainable? How are the financials looking in the long run?
1: A better way would be to look at the financials in two parts. One would be till 2020 and one would be this financial year because there has been a stark difference in the performance. Before going into the financials, a few points that uh, I would like to touch upon is its revenue composition, which comes from its product mix. So just for reference, the domestic biscuits market contributes 37% of its revenue. The exports market contributes 22% of its revenue. Moving on to the bakery side, the bakery market contributes 17% to its total revenue, while the supplying to institutional players contributes another 17% to its revenue. And the remaining percentage is contributed by contract manufacturing. As we have already discussed, they have a contract manufacturing of Oreo in India. Another part that I would like to touch upon are its gross margins. Now, it would be something of a little surprise to you, but in this financial year, it has had gross margins which are better than uh, Britannia also. Wow. So just for your reference, uh, Mrs. Bector had uh, a three-year average uh, gross margin of around 44%. That of Britannia was 39%. So it has the highest gross margin when you compare that with its listed peers. However, if you go to the EBITDA level, the margins kind of drop down to 12.1 percent. But it is still only behind Britannia,
0: mm, which is impressive. I mean, if you if you look at the larger scheme of things, it being able to match the you know the gross margins and the EBITDA margins with these listed players, it's it's kind of impressive, isn't it?
1: It is indeed impressive. To hang around with these listed players with such a high reach, such a large amount of revenue. So as we were discussing, the revenue of the company is uh, close to 750 crores. And if you compare that with Britannia, it's 11,000 crores. (laughs) So the difference is huge. And just to maintain that margins at such a small scale is indeed commendable for the company.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I, I think the reason why they're able to maintain that margin is because they have a 100% in-house manufacturing. So that enables them to maintain that cost. Like they have it in control as well. So that could explain, you know, the high gross margin that the company has. And also because it's a very focused player. Like we mentioned, it is exactly it has allocated its capital in a very uh, concentrated and in a very strategic way. So that shows in the numbers. that That comes out in the financials.
1: That definitely shows the numbers. So as we discussed, we'll bifurcate the financials into two parts. If we look at financials and its financial performance up till 2020, the revenue growth has been, what I'll say is stagnant. It has shown no better improvement. Same would be the EBITDA margin, same would be for the net profit margins and same would be for the EPS. However, if we move on to this financial year, the performance of the company has been, I'm short of words, but I'll term <laughs> it as great because its revenue for the first six months has increased by 18.5%. Its beta is at an all-time high at 16.76%, which is commendable. Its PAT percentage has more or less doubled. So that is the amount of increase that it has shown and it has taken the benefit of COVID and its cost-cutting measures.
0: Yeah, I mean, the performance is truly impressive. In the first six months, especially driven by COVID, I think, because COVID has like not only Mrs. Beckter, throughout the industry, every player has, you know, witnessed a increase in their revenue. And what worked for Mrs. Beckter is that even though the revenue had increased, their cost went down drastically. So if you look at the cost of materials and if you look at the employee cost and the other fixed costs, not, not fixed costs, but the variable cost of the company, that went down drastically, which is surprising to me. And I feel that from a long term point of view, probably it is not sustainable. So in, this is a one-time thing I think driven by COVID and if you look two or three years down the line, I don't think that the company will be able to maintain such a growth in revenue with, with the same level of uh, expenses. The expenses will increase going forward because, you know, employee benefit costs and other costs will increase. So. Uh, This is kind of an exceptional situation that the company has found itself in. And, but, you know, it's good. I mean, they were able to make use and, you know, they were able to utilize the pandemic to their benefit, which shows that their strategy is paying off. Also, like you mentioned, you know, gross margins, EBITDA margins are pretty much on par with the industry leaders. So in fact, in fact, they're higher than the listed players, which is something to boast about when you have just 1% of the total market value <laughs> so that's that's definitely a very bright spot for the company and they have a reasonable debt on the balance sheet you know the debt to equity ratio also is pretty reasonable not something to worry about that is as well is very good to have when you're working in an industry which is quite capital intensive because to expand you have to you know invest in new manufacturing facilities state of the art machinery and like you mentioned, you know, the QSR partnerships, you have to ensure that you provide that quality, that state of the art technology that is expected from you. So even after that, you know, the the debt to equity is pretty normal. It's not that high, which is again, it's good to have the books in order. But I, I think my personal opinion is once things normalize, once this COVID thing normalizes, I think the costs will go up. And they will not be able to maintain that same level of margin. That 44% margin is probably not sustainable in the long run. And probably it will be somewhere around the listed players like 38-39%. But again, yeah, it's a bright spot. And uh, moving on to the most important parameter that we have is the valuations of the company. If you look at the valuations, what pops out to you, Rishabh? So Siddharth this company is a perfect example of
1: how deceptive valuation and valuation parameters can be so <laughs> I'll just explain it to you so if you take at the p ratio of uh, the earnings as of uh, 2020 the p multiple comes at par with all the listed peers so the issue kind of appears to be fully priced however with the great performance that the company has able to achieve in the first six months, the EPS has already exceeded its annual uh, target, which it had. And even if we kind of mellow down the growth rate and kind of look at an EPS of 11 per share, then the stock appears to be quite cheap if you compare it with peers.
0: Yeah, because I think like in the first six months, they have already like the profits have already been more than what they had in the entire year, like the entire financial aid, 20 i think they had a profit of 30 crores, something like that and in the first six months exactly in this year they already have a profit of 38 crores,
1: 38 crores.
0: Okay. it's just about how you're looking at the company right at what number you're picking up your perception of the company being cheap or expensive then completely changes isn't it like just on the number that you're looking at definitely
1: as i said this is a classic example of how valuation parameters can make a company expensive also as well as cheap also it is all about the perspective that an investor has and it kind of shows in the gray market premium that we are seeing for the share the gray market premium for just for your reference for this share is more than 200 uh, on a price band of 286 so that is kind of the perception wow. the investors are giving to the stock
0: so that's around like 70 to 80 percent uh premium on listing is expected and like we've seen in Burger King, even after listing, the the company <laughs> is still going up. The the run in the markets could benefit the company going forward. And a premium of 70 to 80 percent in the gray market is definitely the reason why you know it's the issue. And the on the first day, it was oversubscribed by four times. Today we we will see you know how how much oversubscription happens but definitely I, I i'm feeling that this issue is going to be oversubscribed and even on the valuations front you know like just to put it out there if you if you look at the p based on the profits of financially year 20 the p is around 54 times which is it's pretty expensive for a player like mrs becter which has a market share of just 1% You know, because Britannia, Parlay, ITC, these are the players which command such a high PE on their uh, stocks. But, you know, Mrs. Vector, it looks pricey if you look at the financial year 20 numbers. But if you look at the PE based on the profits of the first half of financial year 21, then the PE drops considerably to 28 times and then it looks cheap. So my opinion would be to look at the financial year 20 number. You know, to be a bit conservative when you're valuing a company. And uh, because we still don't know how the next six months are going to be like. COVID is it's still with us. You know, biscuit sales are going to be there for us to witness. But, uh, you know, COVID is like an exceptional item. And, you you know, to, to actually find out the value, I would say to look at the financial year 20 numbers for a long-term uh, valuation of the company. So... I, I do feel that, you know, the company is definitely not cheap even at the current price band. What, what do you think? What, what do you uh, make out? And, you know, what would be your recommendation for the stock going forward? Uh,
1: so, Siddharth, before giving any recommendation... Uh, a word of caution for all the listeners, uh, the stock that we are talking about is intended to be a small cap stock. So a small cap stock would not suit every investor's risk appetite. So an investor should look at the stock with caution. So moving on to my recommendation for listing gains, it does seem that the company is going to make some dough for the investors. And for, I see what
0: you did there. I see what you did there. I work very
1: hard on this. So... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, looking at the stock from a long-term perspective as you have rightly said the financial numbers for the first half look to seem a little uh, impacted by covid and it has to stabilize so so the stock could be a dark horse in your portfolio and it definitely deserves to be in your watch list but the performance of the company has to sustain over the next two quarters for you to kind of enter and uh, look look at the stock from a medium to long-term potential
0: definitely because from a purely listing gains perspective i think it makes sense for you know the retail investors to invest in the issue apply in the issue because it's going to be heavily oversubscribed so i i think again you know the chances of getting allotment in this are also not that high but you know try your luck ipos are like lotteries nowadays you know you just have to try all luck and see what happens so for a from a listing gains perspective it makes sense to put your money but you know if you don't get allotment and if you're looking to buy the company on the date of listing i would say to just you know like rishabh mentioned keep it in your watch list wait for things to normalize you know just look at the quarterly results like the next two quarters to see whether you know it can maintain this high streak that it has been on obviously you know the valuations will. like i'm thinking that there should be some sort of pullback, there should be some sort of common sense prevailing in the market to see that we don't know right now. But like when the stock witnesses some sort of pullback, then you can probably think of, you know, buying the stock. So for now, because it's a it's a regional player, you know, not a lot of market share, it's very concentrated in states like Punjab, Himachal Pradesh, Jammu and Kashmir. So these are states which will not offer a lot of growth. So it will continue to remain a small cap and to invest in a small cap, it, it requires a lot of risk appetite for the investor. So accordingly, you have to evaluate whether that this stock fits your portfolio or not. But for now, just apply in the IPO. And if you don't get allotment, then probably keep it in your watch list. And uh, Rishab, again, you know, it was great to have you another IPO and uh, you are becoming an increasingly common guest on the show so again great to have you and uh let's see whether any other ipo is coming out and let's get back on research
1: the pleasure is all mine said
0: all right guys that does it for today's edition of bazaar people on the show may have certain recommendations to buy or sell but don't buy or sell based on what you hear do your own research you know read the annual reports the prospectus before you take any investing decision Uh, We would love to know what you think of the show. You can reach out to us at thebazaarpodcast at gmail.com. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.